Invariably, when you go to an engineering company, they don't give you the easiest jobs to look at. They give you the more difficult ones, ones that they're struggling with. And if you can bring a solution to that problem, they'll value that immensely. Welcome to this week's MTD podcast, a complete engineering solution with a billion euro organisation. We discuss all areas of engineering with Hoffman Group UK. I'm Giovanni Albanese, hosting today's show, a passionate engineer and proud member of the MTD team. Today, we have the pleasure of being joined from Phil Meacham, UK Regional Sales Manager at Hoffman Group UK. Welcome, Phil. Hello. Now, Phil, it's a massive organisation that you're working for. People, I don't believe, realise how big the Hoffman Group is. But before we get into the Hoffman Group and the solutions that the Hoffman Group can offer, how did you get into engineering? Well, I was an apprentice technician at a company called Clarkson's, Clarkson International Cutting Tools, which were a reasonably large employer in Neneaton, where I lived at the time. And I did a five-year technical apprenticeship with them, served my time, did ONC, HNC, and then moved on to subcontract engineering, where I pretty much learned the trade. So I learned quite a bit of the technical side of things from cutting tools at Clarkson's, but the actual real learning, I think, began when I was in the subcontract industry. Now, how did you get into engineering in the first place? What attracted you to engineering? Probably a bit lazy, in all fairness, as I, <laughs> I think I mentioned to you when we were speaking earlier. A lot of my colleagues, the co-op from school, decided to go to technical college and me being a lazy git <laughs> decided that that perhaps wasn't for me I'd like to be paid for my activities and applied to one company which was Clarkson's and got the job that's how I fell into the, wouldn't call it a trap but that's how I fell into engineering <laughs> so, I did I always had a passion for taking things to bits and mechanical products and so on so it was it was something that interested me anyway may I ask how long you've been in engineering for since I was 16 and I'm now 55 so wow. it's a few years Wow. I mean, so you had many years Indeed. experience. Now, yep. how long have you been with the Hoffman Group? Since we started in the UK, which is 2007, but I was also with a company called Pershman, who started selling Hoffman Group products in the UK back in 2004. So I've had effectively, since 2004, really, uh, mm. I've been working for the company. I mean, group. In, in one of my previous roles, I was involved with work holding and I used to come across the Hoffman Group, but I didn't realise how big of an organisation you are. Can you kind of give us a little bit of an insight into the Hoffman Group worldwide? Sure. As you say, they were not as well known as we perhaps are in the rest of Europe. We did start officially as Hoffman UK Quality Tools Limited in the UK in 2007. The company itself celebrated its centenary last year, so we've been around for quite some time. The Hoffman Group itself is made up of a number of individual partner companies, the largest of which is Hoffman. They're based in Munich. They've been servicing the requirements of customers for engineering tools, as I've said already, for 100 years. But there are other businesses which are partnered with that a company called Pershman. There's another one called Altrugger. These are all German companies who had very similar ideas about how they could bring the very best products to customers, and if they pooled their resources, they could reach a lot more people. Uh, so the Hoffman Group was formed. They have a single catalogue, and they have a larger buying power, obviously, together. They sell through 50 countries globally, the majority of which would be through Europe, recently branched out into the Americas, the Asian continent as well, and indeed China and Australia and various other parts of the world. It's a billion euro 
business. That is phenomenal. There's not many billion euro businesses in the world at all. Now, in your opinion, what makes Hoffman Group so successful? It's actually 1.4 billion. Uh, you're on the right <laughs> numbers, but they, that's not the buy. Um, what makes them so? We bring to customers products that we have looked into and we believe are the best solution for a customer's problems. Invariably, when you go to an engineering company, they don't give you the easiest jobs to look at. They give you the, the more difficult ones, the ones that they're struggling with. And if you can bring a solution to, to that problem, they'll value that immensely. And that's pretty much how Hoffman started resolving problems for people. And we call ourselves a system partner. We don't just call ourselves another supplier. We like to integrate with people's ERP systems. We can purchase from us via the internet, via our eShop. They can send us faxes. I mean, that's a bit archaic these days, but email. We'll take orders from people in any which way. Bits of paper, doesn't really matter. But the products that we have are all extremely high quality. In fact, the strap line on our logo used to say, up until about three years ago, the quality company. So it's all about the quality of the product, and that differentiates greatly from a lot of other suppliers. But it's not just about the quality of the products. I mean, all of the staff that work for the Hoffman Group in the UK, they're all highly technical people that can solve the problems and can select the appropriate product for the appropriate application because there's so many different ways to skin a cat. I mean, we went to visit a few companies last year, Phil, you know, big aerospace company, for example, you incorporated one of your special drills and it saved them around £40,000 a year just from the implementation of one drill. Mm. But you have so many different products from cutting tools, vending solutions, tooling. The products are one thing and they are quality. They've got to be quality. Mm. But how do you, from such a big portfolio, how do you choose the right product? Well, the way that the business operates is we have specialists in each area. So each one of our employees out on the road, the area sales managers, as we have, each one of those are time-served engineers. So we are able to give the advice that customers need at the point of use. But in addition to those individuals, we then have a group of specialists. So we have metrology technicians, we have cutting tool technicians, we have a workstation and storage technician, a number of them you've met today. We also have now PPE specialists. So where there is more detailed knowledge required or an in-depth study required, we would bring that individual specialist into the company to offer even more assistance in deciding which is the most appropriate tool, where or whatever it might be. And that format is followed globally for Hoffman. So being able to offer an engineering solution to a customer that we believe is the best comes from the knowledge that we've got of the products and their requirements. So understanding what their needs are, first of all, is the most important. What are the drivers in their business? Is it saving time? Is it longevity on the tools? Or is it organising themselves better with workstation equipment? This type of thing. That's the driver, understanding what the customer requires and then finding a solution from within the portfolio of products that we've got or indeed the extended range of suppliers to give them the very best result. So... Can you just kind of go in a bit more detail of the products that you offer, the different ranges? I mean, from what I can see, you pretty much offer everything around the machine tool. Well, that's right. I mean, try and instill in the guys, pardon me, the ladies and gentlemen that we have working for us, we don't offer everything. So if somebody came to me and asked me if I could supply them a cake or a, or a pen <laughs> or a, something like this, we, it's not something, anything that's engineering orientated, something that the engineering businesses or the assembly companies that we work with need on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it's maintenance, MRO-type supply, we can supply all of those things. 
catalogue itself is, consists of 10 individual sections. I'm not going to bore you with every individual section, but those 10 sections are made up primarily of four different subsections. One is cutting tools and the ancillary equipment go around it, work holding and tool holding. Then have a second section, which would be all about hand tools, so pliers and the like, probably and abrasives and, and so on. The third catalogue is for workstation and equipment and storage. And the final one, which we added last year, is for PPE products. And that's pretty much most requirements of an engineering company covered. There's always going to be an example where somebody wants something out with the catalogue. And because of the extended range of suppliers that we've got, around 500 world-class suppliers, we were able to supply those items as well. Sounds brilliant, really. So effectively, Phil, is it safe to say that you become a partner with your customers? Absolutely. I mean, that is the take that, as I said, we, we already describe ourselves as a system partner. So whether the system be the integration into their ERP system, the assistance of choosing which tools. We have free online services such as Toolscout, which enables people to find the appropriate tool for an application, then obtain the cutting data for that. And that doesn't mean just drilling or milling or tapping. It could be reaming, slitting saws, band saws, whatever. So that's another free thing. We can have, you can download CAD data from the internet, from our website. All of these are things that we provide free at the point of use for customers that have selected Hoffman as their partner. Now, in regards to being a partner, the, the products that you supply, let's concentrate on the products that you make yourselves, the Garant range, for example. You know, this is a high-quality cutting tool range. Can you give us a little bit more insight into the product portfolio, the cutting tool product portfolio, or anything that's manufactured from yourself? Yeah, yeah. sure, sure. So, well, Garant is basically a slight corruption of the word guarantee. That's where the name Garant comes from. And the understanding that we want our customers to have is that if we provide that product, that product is guaranteed to do the job that we've suggested it will do or it's required to do. Just to correct you, the Garant range covers the whole of the catalogue. So it's not just cutting tools. It could be metrology products. It could be workstations. It could be gloves, so on and so forth. So it's, you, you can find Garant products throughout the whole of the portfolio. We have an industrial brand as well called Holex, which is aimed really, you might need three holes in a piece of mild steel. You're not going to be buying an all singing, all dancing drill for that. You probably want a high-speed steel drill, and that's where the Holex product would come in. But coming back to Garant, it is a premium brand product, so it's designed and developed by Hoffman uniquely. We would then go out to best-in-class manufacturers globally, and they would make those products too. We don't have a factory, let's say, making a solid carbide end mill, but we would go to best-in-class manufacturers and have them make that tool to the design that we have specified. Some people think that's not as good as being the manufacturer yourself, but the reality is we can be much more responsive to changes in the marketplace. So if there's a new coating, for example, that's been developed, we can take advantage of that by taking our tools to that coating supplier and having our tools coated with that particular product rather than be reliant on the fact that we've got a vacuum coating plant that will only do titanium nitride or Thailand or whatever it may be. In lots of ways, it can be very advantageous to customers. I always bring the analogy, the iPhone, for example, from Apple is not made by Apple. It's made in a factory in China, but it says on the iPhone, if you read them, designed in California. I think that's the expression, <laughs> yeah. but it's made in a factory in China. Now, they are a ubiquitous product. Everybody and his dog's got one. Let's say they work very well, and that's exactly the same. We can be much more responsive to market changes and developments. That's a clever market strategy for sure. Now, 
give me some examples of the results in profitability as a direct result from the implementation of Othman's solutions on all fronts. Oh, good Lord, that's more difficult than you'd like to think. If you're measuring the performance of a tool, we can give plenty of examples where a cutter or a drill has achieved a longer life or machined more components than competitors' products. That's pretty simple to sort of give as an example. And there are plenty of those that I can bring to you right now. But if you were looking at workstation equipment, it's much more difficult to try and show a customer how beneficial streamlining their production facility can be. Remember the example we gave from Don Whitley's where they make their own product. It's a medical product that they make. And by streamlining their production facility, they reckon they saved something around 20 to 30%. Wow. Well, it was a productivity gain of 20 So the actual throughput of machines that they had through their facility was increased by around 20 to 30%. That's a phenomenal amount. It's, it's, just, it's massive. It is. It's massive. It is. If you think yeah. of the turnover of the company and, and that's the kind mm-hmm. of difference that it can make, yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. And I think that, you know, your products do really go hand in hand, don't they? For example, you mentioned the vending solution, but that kind of incorporates all of your products. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did a technical corner earlier on vending solutions with Mike. Now, he mentioned... It can monitor the usage. It can be used alongside Industry 4.0. You can monitor the kind of usage of a carbide drill, for example. And if it was running in a day shift and you were using that many and then in the night shift it was using more, you mm-hmm. can automatically see, you know, there's something not quite right here. Yep. There are so many different advantages, automatic reordering. Mm-hmm. That's just putting the cutting tools in there. You could even put your work holding solutions in there, your PPE equipment in there. It works alongside 5S, which I think that you're mentioning as well with Don Whitley Scientific, that they heavily invested in that. The mm-hmm. facility looks yep, a lot right. better. I mean, Phil... Where does it end, really? I mean, like you say, apart from the machine tool, you pretty much, within that manufacturing facility, can look after everything else, can't you? Well, that's right. I mean, we have an aim to own everything within a 20-metre radius of a machine tool. That's pretty much what we are trying to do. So whether it be the work holding, whether it be the cutting tools, in some cases the lubricants, coolants, for example, these are things, or the measuring equipment that's used to then measure the products. Most of these products that are required by customers can be found within the catalogues that we provide customers. But then, in it, as I mentioned before, we have an extended range available to us from the, some of the catalogue suppliers. So we have our own products, our own branded products in the catalogue. We then have brands that people know and love, the Mitutoyas of the world, for example, for measuring equipment, Ma. We might have uh, Schwenk for ball gauging and so on. You can get the whole of their programme from the Hoffman Group Obviously, the deliverability is subject to availability from those suppliers. What we let people know is that Hoffman have invested something around 150 million euros with products on the shelf. So if it's in our book and there are no brackets around the price of that product, you will be able to get that pretty much, depending on the weight and how long it takes to ship, pretty much the next day from Hoffman. And that's, that's phenomenal. So the service levels that you'd enjoy as a customer from Hoffman are extremely high and most of the customers that we speak to complement us on the service supply that we offer them. If we then need something out with the catalogue, the lead times might be a little longer, but they're comparable with other suppliers. But of course, they've got a single point to purchase from. They can do that electronically, which a lot of them enjoy. So over 60% of our turnover is electronic. So, you know, nobody touches it. The customer goes online, they select the product, which they're familiar with, 
or maybe not familiar with, they can search online. It's a very effective search engine that we have. And you can select the product. It shows you the actual price that you as the customer are going to pay there. And then you need a login to, ob uh, you know, to ob obtain that privilege. But you've got that and you can choose there and then to order it. And it'll give you an indication of the stock situation uh, of the product. And you can pretty much rely because we've got very reliable logistics partners such as DHL and UPS. You can rely on the product being there the following day or maybe in two days. That's a massive selling point, especially if you know you can't people can't afford to have their machine tools down waiting for tooling. Now, the Hoffman Group in the UK was originated, as you said, in 2007, but last year it officially opened in the UK. And already talking to you guys prior to this podcast, you've increased the amount of staff significantly mm. within the last few months. Yeah, well, that's right. So when we started in the UK in 2007, we were what's known in the German as a provisions company. And basically, it was Hoffman GmbH selling products into the UK. So we had a team of sales engineers out on the road and two regional managers. That was Ian Walker and myself. And that team of engineers went out to customers and developed business. And the products were supplied from our central logistics in Nuremberg. The back office functions were all conducted by individuals working out of Bremen. In August of 2019, that changed. There was a decision made by the steering committee in Germany that the UK is still an extremely viable market, very interesting for Hoffman, and we want to develop further. So consequently, an investment programme was set up and Hoffman UK Quality Tools Limited was brought into the world, so to speak, as the trading entity for the UK. What that's meant is all of those back office functions have had to now be fulfilled by individuals working in the UK. So we've employed internal staff for answering the phones, taking inquiries and so on. We've got human resources, we've got purchasing and so on, all residing in the UK. The business is based out of Birmingham, so it's centrally located with sort of good communication networks and motorways and so on. And we've got a team of experienced individuals working from Birmingham. In total now, we have 28 individuals working for Hoffman, where two years ago, we'd have had 11. Wow, I mean, that growth is phenomenal. Now, do you foresee this growth continuing in the UK? Well, yes. I mean, it's a slow start, but like all things, when everything's new, there's a learning curve to go through. Um, what it has meant for the UK is that as a full-service company, as we now describe ourselves, we have the ability to, to purchase products locally. So there are certain things that, working under the constraints as a provisions market supplier, we're not able to access. So now as a full-service company, we can work directly with our catalogue suppliers in each country. So, for example, Mitutoya have a business base in the UK and we can liaise directly with them now. So if there's any particular special, Bowers, Metrology, we can liaise directly with those for certain specials. So the portfolio has actually increased. Um, in addition to that, we can manufacture special tools in the UK. As I said, it has opened up a broader portfolio of products that now for our customers and, and services that we can offer. It sounds like it's added more strings to your already Absolutely. long bow. <laughs> um, now, Phil, you've been in the engineering game for then nearly around 40-odd oh, years. Yeah. What kind of changes have you seen in the engineering industry in your time and where do you see it going? Well, there's been plenty of changes. I mean, the offshoring of lots of high-volume products to India, China and various of the low-cost economies happened in the sort of 70s, 80s and 90s. What it meant was that the companies that survived and that were left had to do that by being more dynamic, by offering 
different abilities and capabilities. And so it was the high quality, it was the high value products that remain. So we've got a core of engineering manufacturing in the UK, which are world class. We've got still small subcontractors and larger subcontractors, but they're, they're based pretty much around larger businesses. So for example, Rolls-Royce, who is a big aero engine manufacturer in the UK, they've got lots and lots of subcontractors working in and around the UK, all supplying them with very high tech products, could be the aerofoils, it could be prismatic parts, whatever. We've still got quite a large automotive industry, believe it or not. I mean, people don't think we have it. They tend to be owned by foreign companies, such as BMW, Nissan, Toyota, Honda, and so on. And there are plenty of products made and supplied by engineering companies in the UK, and we have to be competitive worldwide to win that business. So these companies have invested heavily into very high-technology machines. Their productivity is high and comparable with the rest of the world. We can't survive on competing hourly rates. It has to be about the added value that you can bring. So it's about being competitive globally now, Absolutely, There's no question. No question. It, and, it is. And investment into the latest technology, into a product such as the products that you offer now, you're always at the forefront of technology. How important is this? It's vital. It is almost certainly the most important. If you are not productive, you can't compete. The world has got smaller and smaller. I think we know this. We all travel, you know, to, to different countries. Well, we don't at the moment, because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but generally speaking, you know, we take holidays in different countries. The world's got so much smaller. And so customers, businesses can buy their products from the UK, from Germany, from France, Italy, wherever it might be. But they can also buy them from Malaysia, the emerging economies, Korea. You know, these have high-quality manufacturing facilities. China, for example, um, you know, they're no longer the bastion of very cheap, low-quality products. There's some very high-quality products coming in there. And the only way that you can compete is by adding value, having something that's different. You know, you can produce it faster to a higher standard and so on. And that's where we come in to try and aid customers, primarily engineering customers in the UK. It doesn't have to be an engineering company in maximising their performance of their machines, you know, get them working 24-7 instead of, you know, part-time. You know, this is the lights out working is, is what people are wanting. I mean, you mentioned that you've employed, you know, nearly doubled the staff within your organisation in the UK. Do you think that there's still problems with the skills gap in the UK? Yes, definitely. I mean, there's a necessity really for businesses to invest in youngsters or people and train them because without that knowledge we're not going to survive. We have to have highly skilled individuals, people that are flexible, you know, that can turn their hands to various different things. Obviously, the development of CAM machining has meant that, you know, you can manufacture a product in the UK as you can manufacture it in Poland or wherever else. It doesn't really matter. The thing that makes the difference are the people. We've got a very good skilled workforce, but we need to ensure that we've got youngsters coming through to continue that. That's vital, you know, because some of us old dogs... I include myself in that. You know, we're going to be retiring. In, You're not in that old, Phil. Well, you know, <laughs> the, 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 you know, there are there are skills that I've got, but you know, you try and pass them on wherever you can. They're not always valid or valuable because there might be new techniques that have been developed. But that needs to be embraced by the youngsters that are coming through, so that we can continue onwards. I mean, not just within your organisation. I mean, the skill that you've got within your organisation, especially with your external team that are visiting companies and selecting the appropriate products for their applications is a big selling point for you, I would I would say, because I, I would assume that they're coming to you for application knowledge because they may not have that kind of knowledge within their own organisations to a certain degree in some circumstances. 
this is a problem that I see quite frequently when I visit companies. How often I've heard, if I could get another skilled person, I'd buy another machine, for example. Mm -hmm. This is something that, you know, we do need to address. I'm quite confused to, to, to why a lot of the younger generation aren't seeing engineering and manufacturing as a potential career because it is an absolutely amazing industry to get into now. Well, that's right. I mean, it, it's changed no longer. Is it the sort of dirty, oily, greasy sweatshops that there used to be abound when I was starting out in my career? You know, they tend to be very, you know, quite pristine in most instances, you know, with painted floors mm-hmm. and sort of high-tech machines that don't leak and, and no oil spilling out of them and so on, fully enclosed and working away all, all you know, 24 hours a day, particularly five-axis machines, this type of stuff. I believe that the engineer in the UK is never, and I mean engineer, not a mechanic, but an engineer, has never been perceived as a high-quality employment, unlike, say, in Germany, where if you are a Dippeling, which is obviously a diploma in engineering, you're regarded as having a skill and a skill set that would enable your business and your company to develop and thrive. That needs to be grasped with both hands. Kids need to be shown these new businesses that are out there to give them a choice. Do I want to go into manufacturing? Can I learn a trade, a skill that will see me for many a year to come? I mean, it starts at the ground roots, doesn't it, Phil? I mean, I've got two young boys and my boys at the minute are three and five and they still love their cars, Lego and and so on and so forth. But I've got nephews and nieces that are at 10, 11 Mm. and all of a sudden they're not interested in that kind of toys if you like, anymore. Now, I don't know what goes on in schools, but I think designing something or making something for me is one of the most rewarding things that you could potentially do. And I think if that's not continued from when they're that age all the way through to when they leave school, you don't get it back, do you, Phil? You lose it. You Mm. know, I don't know. Is it something that we can potentially be doing differently at a ground root level to kind of really raise awareness and change perception of what actually is available now for them to get into when they leave school? Yeah, well, I think a lot of it is down to the difference in schooling. For example, if you go to Germany, you will find that they have schools, vocational schools, where children at the age of around 14 decide that they want to go into engineering and they want to become a meister or a master of the trade. The companies will sponsor them through that, but they'll have the latest technology in those schools you know, the five-axis mills, you know, they'll DMU, 80s and whatever you in there and the kids can learn on and they'll do that. They'll go through their study at school and then go further into further education. So they'll be leaving the schools with qualifications that enable, and respect as well from people out in, in the walk of life. They'll have a skill set that enable them to work in various different companies. You know, it's no wonder that the German manufacturing industry has th- thrived because of that way that their schooling has been steered or it's different. In the UK, a lot of people think, well, I'm, you know, I don't want to get my hands dirty and, you know, be a greasy engineer, but really they have got no idea. It's not of like what that it, no it's, not, it's not really like that. It's, uh, it's very much different. So a lot of design is done on the CAD and then you can implement that directly through the CAM systems onto the machine tools. And there's a lot of, what could you say, um, you know, cerebral work done. You know, people are thinking about that, how to improve things. You know, there's no longer standing on a duckboard 24-7, getting your hands dirty, going home stinking of smelly suds. That's not how things are. No, and, and I think really we should be taking school kids out to businesses to show them just what the opportunities are and how things can be different. So I that, think that would be a brilliant idea. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, this is quite a funny story, Phil. You mentioned Neaton. I think prior to this podcast, you mentioned North Warwickshire and Inkley College, where <laughs> I did my apprent- engineering apprenticeship. Yeah. I revisited that college last year mm. and they've still got the old lathes that I actually yeah. done my apprenticeship yeah, yeah. on nearly 20, 25 years Correct. ago. Mm-hmm. Now, you just mentioned in Germany they're using all the latest technology, the latest CNC. So as soon as they come out of that uh, apprenticeship, they're actually working on the machines mm. that they've worked on at college rather than being a bit beyond and having to relearn then in their placement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I mentioned, I, I also attended NWCTA. And you're right, the machines haven't changed. You need a basic understanding and knowledge of, of engineering. So grinding a cutting tool, understanding about the geometries of the tools and so on. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're then going to employ that on an old Harrison 540 or a Triumph 2000 sort of centre lathe, that's not really how things are being made these days. You know, it's probably going to be a multi-axis mill turn or something of this nature where you could drill the cross holes, you can tap and thread and cut form and so on. That's the type of machine that we should be showing the youth and the developing engineers that the products will be made on. Because that's the only way you can... You're not, not going to win business globally if you're trying to knock it out on a... You know, manually on a fight, you know, as I say, an old Triumph 2000. Yeah, I think that it's brilliant having conventional machinery still to actually learn. I think everyone should start on that, but Mm. they should be able to progress Mm. to the latest technology whilst they're in the educational system, not when they get to their potential employer. I think that's too late. It it is. And it it doesn't attract the younger generation into the college either. No, no, of course not. Because they've not got that technology to kind of get them interested. Mm. Well, you know, I think indeed that it's going to be the, pretty much the same as it used to be. It's going to be a, a, you know, leaning over the, the centre lathe, you know, getting covered in suds or whatever. That's not how things are. Yeah, I mean, I, was, I, I visited DMG Murray last year with colleagues where we conduct our tool trials and when we're developing... In new, Germany, new, in, in Germany. This is actually in a place called Fronten. And it was really, really interesting to see their school. They have in their facility for their apprentices. And the machines that they are building in Fronten are the machines that the guys are using to machine the parts on. So these are 17-year-olds that have come out of these, I think they're called abitures, and they come straight out of these schools and go in to the factories, as it were, and they are using the most up-to-date and current machines to work on. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it really just goes to show that yeah. maybe we need to kind of take a leaf out of there. But Phil, mm-hmm. I could talk all day about some of these subjects, uh, <laughs> but I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to kind of uh, cut this podcast short now. But um, Phil, any last thoughts? No, I think we just keep persevering. You know, there's a very, very strong, dynamic base of manufacturers in the UK, and we've got to build on that. No, Phil, it's been an absolute pleasure having you today. Now, any listeners, please let us know what you think about the subjects that we've discussed today. If you've got any inquiries about some of the products that Offman offer, let them know. But please subscribe to the MTD podcast, and until next week, we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the MTD podcast. If you found value in this episode, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. Find more episodes on mtdcnc.com.